my Tanya book. Is that yeah, it? Yeah, that one's mine. Sorry. No, that's mine. I did that all There's time. two more here. It's like, where are all my post it notes? Okay. So. Okay, so we're speaking about the development of the godly soul, essential being of the godly soul, which has multiple stages, roughly grouped into three, known as nefesh, ruach, neshama. Every stage of development consists of the growth and healthy functioning of ten faculties, which correspond to the ten spheres, which are ways God manifests himself. And the reason they correspond is that they descend from them, meaning that they are reconstructions of those very same spheros, but in the life of a physical human being. And therefore they are modeled in the same way, and they have the same structure. The structure of the spheros for our purposes, there are many structures of the spheros, but the structure we care about is they're divided into two. And we do this slightly reversed in the order that it is. Seven of those are called doubles and days of building because those are the things that set the extension and the limits for how to build an interaction, build a relationship, build a connection with outside of themselves. Meaning, how does God interact, create, govern, enliven the world? Okay. Yes? Sorry, I think you might have said this yesterday, but I don't really like, remember. Um, how come in the, like, the older version of the book it says doubles and in the new one why did they change it to multiple I don't know I don't know doubles would have been better yeah yeah why is double better than multiple because that's what the, the safety series actually says yeah, they're double they're, they're, they're doubles it's, yeah. it's actually yeah I don't understand multiples I don't either <laughs> I, yeah, I, I can't um... okay but these seven have relate to the other three in the sense that the other three are their mothers mothers um give birth to and nourish the children. So to these other three spheres, give birth to and nourish the, the other seven, the, the seven who are relationship building. Now, they're called mothers because we're talking about their influence on the lower seven. But they're not really, in essence, part of the relationship building. They're their own thing. The fact that they give birth to and nourish the relationship building spheres is merely a byproduct of them. Right? So now we're going to take all of that very abstract and difficult to understand information because we're talking about stuff that we don't know what it is and we're now going to shift into ourselves, our godly selves, but our godly selves is not that dissimilar, at least in structure, from our regular human selves and then try and understand the faculties themselves. So we're at the paragraph that starts similarly. Similarly is it with the human soul. Now, the word in Hebrew for human is what? Adam. Okay. Now, um, this is not meant to be a long discussion. There are in Torah literature there are four words which can roughly be translated as man. Okay. One is Adam. The second is Ish. The third is Gever, and the fourth is Enosh. Okay. Now, they have different connotations. Yes. What about when we talk about humans as briot? Why don't you let me finish? What was the last okay. one? Okay. Adam, Ish, Gever, Enish. 
Okay. Those three are all discussing man. They all, like, the translation of all those is man. Probably with a capital M. Okay. Now, they have different meanings. When the term Adam is used, okay, um, it often it refers to specifically the similarity between God and man. That's what actually the meaning, the word, one of the meanings of the word Adam is similar to. So in the sense that man is created in the image of God, that idea is more like the idea of Adam. Okay? The other words have other meanings. So for instance, and it's not a main topic of discussion, the fact that humans are uniquely fallible, especially morally, and um, of all things that were created by God, that is enosh. The fact that we therefore have to overcome and can succeed in overcoming that idea of gather, um, the, the, the unique properties of human psychology where we, we develop and we mature, that's a reference to, that's referred to by the idea of ish. Some of these have feminine correspondence, so ish has isha, but adam is actually gender neutral. Um, it actually says in the Pasuk, in the verse, man, male and female, adam, he created adam, male and female. Okay? So many times, the word adam is actually not a reference to human beings, but is actually a reference to specifically Jews, because in the idea that Jews have a special relationship with God, or as the Mishnah says, Jews are Hashem's children, as we learned in Tanya, that's not just a metaphor, that many times the word Adam is a reference to Jews as opposed to human beings. Okay. So when it says it is in with the human soul, well, that is a perfectly valid translation of the words that is not really capturing the meaning here because we're talking about specifically the godly soul and not the regular human's faculties. So if you would like to know about your regular human faculties, learn chapter six, and learn chapter, yeah, chapter six, okay? And we're going to see there's going to be similarities and parallels there. So, okay. in answer to your question about Brios, Brios is a reference to human beings lacking their distincting humanity. When you want to talk about the worth of a human being, minus or an absence of any distinct value as a human being, then you say Brios. Brios means they're mere creations of God. Mm-hmm. So the only saving thing, the only thing that gives them any worth is God made them. That even a cockroach has worth because... But is a cockroach, because God made it, is a cockroach also referred to as a Bria? Yeah. But when we say like, oh, that's a That means love every person, even a person who is, redu- who, who, is re- who is in no way living up to what it means to be a human being and has nothing of value to them other than the fact that God created them. So it's actually the antithesis of all those things. It's about talking about the value of people that is independent of their humanity. That's the level on which we're the same as like animals. Mm-hmm. Like, are you allowed to be cruel to an animal? Are you allowed to wantonly destroy a tree? No. No. Are you allowed to just be cruel to a person because they're an immoral, disgusting lowlife? No. 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 Even though they're, they're nothing to <laughs> exemplify their worth as a human being, they're still created by God. That's a different idea. That's why Aaron, who had infinite love, said it. Moshe didn't say that. Okay, fine. So similarly is with, and I'm going to change the translation to the godly soul, which is divided in two. Here, the reference, as it's going to be explained specifically, 
talking about the godly soul. We will learn in chapter 6 that the human, the human soul, which is also known as the animal soul, has a similar division. But the description here is not a description of a human being. So do we know why? Because in it's... Hebrew, the word Adam is often made reference specifically to Jews. Okay. Right? In fact, many laws in the Torah, if the Pasuk, if the verse of the law uses the word Adam as opposed to the word Ish, then we know that that refers specifically to a Jew. Um, so there, there's actually, I won't get this too technical, there, a, a, a Kohen is not allowed to come into contact with dead bodies. Are people familiar with this law? Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the types of coming into contact is not by physical contact, but by being in this same shelter, under the same roof. Now the term that's used there to describe the dead body uses Adam, and therefore there is a view that holds that, that that law only applies if it's a corpse of a Jew. So if a, a Kohen could at least biblically be under the same roof as the corpse of a non-Jew, even though he can't touch the corpse. So th- this use of, so Adam does carry often a connotation of specifically um, Jews. There's a different term, B'nai Adam, um, that that was of non-Jews. Again, although sometimes Adam just means man in general. That, so I wanted just to be clear, even though it says human, the Hebrew says Adam, and the, from the context of talking about the godly soul, it's clear that the choice of the word Adam, because we're not talking about a normal human faculty, normal human psychology, we're talking about something specifically godly, which applies only to Jews. Yes? So non-Jews don't have a godly soul? Correct. So what's the difference between being a not-Jewish human like, and a man? Well, uh, because, well, the reason why, the reason why, very briefly, why the animal soul is called an animal soul is because of a basic feature that it shares with animals which is that, it, it, that it's concerned with the welfare of itself slash group. Beyond that point, there's nothing similar between a human soul and an animal soul at all. Okay. And that point of similarity is not true about a godly soul. Okay. Yeah. So a non-Jewish soul is capable, of, and this goes without saying, this is obvious, capable of integrity, responsibility, and awareness of the transcendent, blah, 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 blah. You know, there's nothing... You know, there's nothing in that more base, like you know, in, you know, animalistic sense. That's that's not what it's referenced to. Okay, so these faculties are divided into two, known as seichel, which are parentheses put as intellect, and midos, which are parentheses have as emotional attributes. Period. Okay, now I will ask you, why did our translator? Right? Sometimes I, I, I criticize the translator and sometimes I use the translator to bolster my point. Right? Um, I'm very consistent, by the way. I do whatever is helpful to get it, the point across. Um, why did the translator, why do you think the translator did not translate those words but rather transliterated the Hebrew and then put a translation in parentheses? Okay, so they're trying to like give you a Hebrew lesson? Because they're not really translatable, but they're like this okay. is something that maybe refers to them, but it's not them. Okay, so let's so we above above we said because they're proper nouns, right? In other words, like translate um, Washington D.C. Translate Yerushalayim. What? What you 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 could, but here's the thing: if you if you if you, you trans so if you translate the name of a place, right? That doesn't really tell you anything. Like, if I don't know what the United States is and I translate the words United States, 
By the way, it's actually funny. United States, Artosa verse is not actually a good translation, but whatever. It's not your Artsot. It should be Midinot Muchadot, but whatever reason. But the point is, it's a reference to an actual entity, right? So translating the proper names, you can do it if you want, but it doesn't get you anything. Right? A friend of mine sent me a text message and he was making a, a joke about something. Cause I told him I was working on something, but it's secret and I can't tell him yet. And so he sent, sent back that, um, that I must be part of the Brit Tamoatzot. And I just didn't remember that Brit Tamoatzot is just the Hebrew for Soviet Union. But like, I knew what the meanings of the words were. <laughs> A council of covenant? I'm part of the council of covenant? Like, what is that? Like, it doesn't help me. Like, you just need to know it's a reference to the Soviet Union. Thank you the joke. It's the Soviet Union. You're not allowed to tell anybody what you're doing because everything's top secret. Um, it, translating proper nouns, it doesn't, I mean, if, if it, it doesn't get you anywhere. If you want to translate it and then everybody uses that translation, that's fine. If you want to have, a, you know, Americans call Mexico, Mexico. People in Mexico call Mexico. 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 Doesn't matter. As long as we all know what we're referring to, it's proper nouns, right? Doesn't, doesn't matter. But here, is that the reason? No. I agree with Hana. No, it is not the reason. Why are we not <gasps> translating Seichel and Midos then? They're not proper nouns. Here. What? I didn't say it was a proper noun. I just said it was an idea that can't be captured oh. in like words. So they gave me That's few right. words. Okay. So here the issue is that the word is a technical term. I'm going to give you a few words. Please translate them into English. Tefillin. Now, if you don't know what tefillin are, and I tell you the tefillin are phylacteries, or now you now and you're like, oh, okay, now, now I go, now, 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 thank you. Right. Actually, no. A, phyla- a, phylacter- a phylactery is a part of many, many non-Jewish mythologies where you, where you, take, where you take some sort of a... An, you take you make an you take an object and you imbue it with meaning usually by writing or some sort of holy scripture into it and sealing it off and it's supposed to contain some sort of power. Is that like in total issue? Probably. Yeah. It's like an amulet. So it's similar to the idea of an amulet, right? And so it's kind of like tefillin. If you like had to describe tefillin and you're familiar with these other mythologies, like it's kind of like a phylactery. So then the word just stuck and then, yeah. But um, no. Although do you know where you get tefillin? They're made in a phylactery. <laughs> okay. That's a really bad joke. Okay, what's a mikvah? Just, I want translation. Ritual bath. No, that's actually... A ritualarium. A ritualarium. A ritualarium is, a, is the one word translation. A ritualarium. Yeah. Now, did that help you? Most people don't use the word, right? Ritual bath. Okay, but then it goes a step further. Oh, so, like, if I, like... Now that you know so there's a bath, there's some ritual, now you know what a mikvah is? No. You, like, no. By the way, you could, you know, in fact, if you translated mikvah literally, you'd actually be better off. Because mikvah comes from the word gathering. That the water has to be gathered in one place and not moving around. Yeah. So that's actually already a better. But the thing is, like, technical terms, right? Um, if, if, you trans, if you translate a medical term into another language, from a language you don't speak to a language you do speak, is that going to help? No. No. Okay. So terms that are more technical, more specific, they're not part of the general everyday context that people use, having a translation doesn't work because you don't really necessarily have a ready available word that captures the concept. Not that you couldn't, you just often don't. 
right? Um, that's, by the way, many technical, many, many technical disciplines, whatever language that discipline started in tends to set all the jargon words and then other languages, they just use those words. So if you study mathematics in Hebrew, it's not like you learn a bunch of Hebrew math terms. You just have like Hebrew-sized version of all the regular math terms. Okay. I heard there were like, I knew someone who went to college in, in Israel and like did math and they were like, I don't know the word for like derivative in English because there's a different word in Hebrew. Hmm. Could be, there, 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 there could be, but a lot of the very advanced words, they just, they use Hebrew-sized um, You know, you see this in law a lot, right? Why are they all these Latin phrases in law? Because the Western legal tradition is, right, comes, from, comes from Latin law, from Roman law. So a lot of them is also why you have, you ever see in a book where it says creation ex nihilo? Mm -hmm. what's, what's an ex nihilo? It's Latin. It's Latin, right? Well, I just say creation out of nothing. It would just be easier. But no, we have to sound fancy by using the original language. Okay. So here, the issue is seichel and midos are two categories of the faculties of the godly soul. And they're describing things that we actually experience in our lives. However, um, when you translate them, unless you're using the word in exactly the same way, you're going to be misleading. So here's the issue. If I, if I throw out the term intellect and you describe intellect, tell me what you think intellect is. And we'll see if it's the same as mythos, or same as seichel, which is the Hebrew word here that's being used. What would you describe intellect as? Knowledge. Knowledge. Intelligence. Intelligence. What? We're using the word in the... Yeah. Uh, the capacity to process information. Ah, see, that's definitely not the case. That, that is, it is true that that is part of Seichel, but that is not what makes Seichel Seichel. Logic? That is part of Seichel, but it's not what makes Seichel Seichel, and it's not even... What? You can't, actually. Well, no, the mind is too broad because mythos also take place in the mind. Although sometimes when we want to translate it, we don't sound, so we'll say like the mind rules the heart or something. That's really just saying that the, that's, 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 that's um, a reference to the seichel, which is connected to the brain, controls the mythos, which are connected to the heart. So fine, if you're using mind in that way, but mind can be very broad, right? Then your imagination takes place in your mind and your imagination is not part of seichel. Hmm. Not emotional. Okay, very good, right? But now we're going to have the same problem with emotions, right? So, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with a simple definition of seichel, okay? Okay, but before we do that, what do we know? We know that these two categories are going to parallel the information we did yesterday about the spheros, okay? So, let's just make a simple observation. There's reality, yeah? Reality is a certain way, okay? There's, the, there's the, 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 the simple stuff that's not like it's boring, like this Tanya's open in front of me. And then there's the really profound stuff, like it's wrong to murder, okay? Um, and, you, and you have a rich, complex life, you know, filled with you know, relationships and hopes and desires, right? So, but there's reality, okay? Some of that reality is physical. Some of that reality has moral quality to it. Some of that reality is... Um, and intangible angels, there's reality. Okay. In addition to that, you have your subjective um, sense of reality. 
So, for instance, murder is wrong, yes? If someone sees a murder, I'm like, that's cool. That sounds interesting. I don't see anything wrong with that. Okay. So their subjective awareness of reality matches or does not match reality? Does not match reality, okay? So there's the subjective way you perceive reality and then there's the way reality objectively is. Got it? Okay. Now I'm going to take reality, I'm going to cut it in half mentally. There's the banal stuff about reality, the, 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 the stuff that, you know, physical. And by physical, I mean stuff you can see, stuff you can hear, stuff you can taste. Okay? We're going to call that sense perception. Okay? We're not going to talk about it. We're going to ignore that. What's left of reality once we cut out all the sense perception stuff? Give me some things that are part of reality. Abstract ideas. Ideas. Time. 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 Causality. Interactions are, you cannot actually experience, you cannot actually see interactions, right? That's causality is interaction, right? Dependency, rightness and wrongness, yeah? Other people's psyches, right? I can see your chin moving up and down. I don't, cannot see your agreement. Yeah? Are rightness and wrongness morality, or are you using those words for a reason? Um, I was using those words because I want to, to be very specific. Not just the same thing as morality. Well, morality, I would say, is a whole sphere of kinds of things. Okay. Right. So if I'm like talking about, like, like there's there's visual, and then you can say, well, there's distance and shape and color, right? Mm -hmm. So morality, there's rightness and wrongness and and entitlement and obligation. These are elements of the moral reality, right? So I want to be morality more. Is broader than is, for sure. Yeah. Right, so some right. Some people only think of rightness and wrongness in the sense of duty to others, and some people are aware there's a rightness and wrongness in other senses. Right, so yeah, how you know, that's why you have different moral philosophies. Right, is something right because it improves the quality of being? Is something right because it meets a duty to another? Is something right yeah, going on and on right? This right, rightness and wrongness are are an aspect of the moral element of reality. Now, you will notice that I'm saying that all that stuff is objective. It is the way it is, right? It's not a sub it doesn't depend on how you perceive it. Mm -hmm. it is, in other words, you thinking murder is wrong doesn't make it wrong, and you thinking that saving somebody from drowning is right doesn't make it right. Which therefore means you can be wrong. We can, we can in theory, we may not agree about it, we can in theory say, does your perception, does your subjective perception of reality actually match Reality. Okay? Yeah? How do we know what reality is, though? Like, <sighs> besides... I will answer that later. Okay? You're not going to like the answer because it's not pragmatic. Okay? Okay? So, now... So if I see things that aren't there and don't see things that are there, there's something wrong with my sense perception, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, if the non-material aspects of reality are something that I don't perceive, or, the, or I perceive non-material aspects that are, as being there that aren't there, so I perceive murder as being right, and you know, I perceive that, um, I, I have a sense that, that um, doing something 
ridiculous is actually meaningful, then something isn't wrong with my sense perception. Something is wrong with what? Your brain. Brain is an organ. Your seichel. My seichel. Seichel is the faculty by which you perceive the immaterial reality. Go in order. Yes. Unless you're a prophet, can you ever have a perfectly intact seichel? The answer to that is we need to differentiate between intact okay, versus, um, versus lacking. lacking right? Those are two different ideas. And, and there's another thing about prophecy. So there's this. If I can see the book in front of me, but I can't see what's behind me, is that because my vision is intact, right? Mm-hmm. But it's lacking because my vision is limited to only what's in front of me, right? So if there are limits to what I perceive, but what I perceive is correct, then it's intact. It's not broken, it's just limited. And it could grow, it could be better. So a child who sees certain things as right and certain things as wrong and is completely unaware of other things, is their seichel intact? Sure. Yeah, it's just incomplete. Because there's more, of, there's more reality than they're aware of. Okay, so then the question is, can ever be complete? And the answer is, yes, if you're God. If you're not God. No, 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 yes, if you're God, and if you're not God. No, even if you're a prophet. Okay, now, so can I, and I'm going to use vision as an example. Can, even, can I, one limit of my vision is that, I see, is that I see from here. So if I want to know what this safer looks like, I'm limited, I can only see here. But I actually have something I can do to compensate, which is I can turn the safer around. Now I see it from all sides. And I can process that and put it together in my mind. I can open it. And therefore, even though I can't perceive it simultaneously all as one with my vision, I can kind of put it together, right? And similarly with seichel. I might, my seichel might not be able to actively subjectively be aware of all of reality for all that it is as it is at once, but I might be able to theoretically experience lots of reality or even all of reality piece by piece and then kind of have some sort of putting it together that you know, maybe you won't live long enough to achieve that. But in theory, maybe you could do that. Okay. So, but getting back to the basic thing, seichel is the way, the, 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 the grouping of faculties by which we perceive reality for what it is and specifically, which part of reality? Immaterial. The immaterial reality. The reality that cannot be perceived through eyes, ears, nose, mouth, tips of your fingers, etc. Nose, yeah. So, would somebody with like schizophrenia or clinical, like a clinical sociopath, be considered as somebody who has an issue with their cycle? So, I'm going to not answer your question and make a disclaimer. We're talking about the godly soul, right? And so in order to talk about the godly soul, I want to make everything as simple as possible. So we're going to talk about the normal situation of regular human functioning so that we have something to then move to appreciate what's more of having the godly soul. So I'm not saying it is, I'm not saying it isn't, just I think it's too tangential for what our purposes are. There was another question down. There wasn't between, okay, fine. Yes. Um, I don't know exactly what... I know there's a thing that I'm referring to, but I don't know exactly where it is, so I'm going to describe it, maybe Maya knows. When, I think it's like when a person has head trauma, and like the EMT who gets to the scene should ask them like five questions that are like, 
who are you, what year is it, where are you? My, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, alert and oriented to four things. Put yeah. yourself, place, time, and location. Okay, so that, is is that assessing Seicha? That was the question. It's an element of Seicha. But that, so it is tapping into an element of Seicha. Okay. So, here's the thing. And the, I, I said this in a different class, but I'm going to say it again. Can you see something that isn't there? You first say no, and you say, can you see something that isn't there? What? No. It's a test for the people who are in that class. Yes. No, why not? <laughs> you fail. What if you have little bugs floaters? Maybe, because mm-hmm. it's not there. Well, I guess well what, does it mean, there. what does it mean to see? You can perceive it. Seeing with your eyes. Vision. What? Using your eyes to if, reflect. If, so if we, if, we, if, we, if we talk okay. about... So here's the thing. If we talk about the thing as a faculty rather than merely a subjective experience, we say like this. There is the way something appears physically in terms of size, shape, distance, right? And there's the way you subjectively experience it via eyes and your visual cortex. If that... If the way you are experiencing it actually matches something there, you're seeing something, right? Now, if you're having an experience but there's nothing there, that's not an act of seeing. Now something is broken and we call that hallucinating. Now, I, granted, it is hard to tell for many people which one is happening, but we all understand there is a big difference between those two things, right? Okay. So for our purposes, we are going to say, we're going to talk about Seichel, assuming the Seichel is intact. Okay, by the way, if, if, so seeing is to hallucination as Seichel is to what? Anyone know what the appropriate... Seichel what? What happens when you experience something that's like seeing, but you're not actually seeing, because what, what you are subjectively experiencing isn't actually there. We call that hallucinating, right? What about dreams? Dreams is a whole different category. Dreams happen when you're unconscious, and don't talk, ask me about lucid dreaming, because we'll go way off topic. We do that all the time. For sure. I'm not saying we... I'm, I know we do it all the time. But That aren't there? Yeah. No. Like our brain corrects. No, 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 I don't want to get into the mechanics of this. We had a whole class about it. I'm sure it's on SoundCloud. But I, I don't want to get into this. How something works, mm-hmm. how something works can be understood in two ways. One is, what is its function? And then, the, and the other thing is, what are the internal mechanics, right? How a car works is you get in, right? And you steer it to turn it. You push on the gas to make it go. And you put on the brakes to make it stop. It's that simple. Now, I could say, what happens between that and the movement of the car to make that work more technically? But I don't have to go that deep. So what is seeing? You have a subjective awareness. There's the objects as they, as they present themselves with visual phenomena. If those things match up, you're seeing. What happens in the middle, frankly, I don't care. That's like, you know, that, that doesn't matter understanding the basic function of the thing. So if I'm subjectively having an experience of a gorilla, but there's no gorilla in the room, we call that... So what if I'm having the subjective experience of immaterial reality being a certain way, but it is in fact not that way? That's not a hallucination. That is a delusion. Now, is it easy to tell if you're deluded? No? Okay. But we all understand there's a difference between... If there's a difference between seeing and hallucinating, there's a difference between having seichel and being deluded. Okay? Being deluded is where you are experiencing something that seems like seichel, but is in fact not seichel. 
Okay? But again, what's key here is that there is an objective truth of the matter. Murder is in fact wrong, independent of your experience of it. And if you're experiencing its wrongness, well, now your seichel is working. Got it? So now... So, what's the goal of seichel? Perceive what correctly? Immaterial reality. That's the goal of Seichel. Yeah. You said before, and I, and I don't know if you said it or if I missed it, you said seeing is to hallucinating as Seichel is to... Delusion. Delusion. There's, there's an SAT question for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hasidic SAT. Okay. Okay, now, let's throw some of the things you guys said. Is logic play some role in this process? Mm-hmm. Probably, usually, yeah. Um, do ideas? Yes. Information processing? Yes. Okay, is that all there is to it, though? No. No. Okay. In fact, many times when you are, like, teaching people logic, you use things which are completely not part of reality to isolate the logic component. So you say, like, like, this is a basic introductory logic thing, okay? Um, all men die, or, I'm oh, sorry, all cats die. Socrates is dead, therefore Socrates is a cat. Right, <laughs> right? and everyone laughs, because that's obviously ridiculous. You say, okay, okay, but, but, but where's the logical flaw? It's just information. No. There is more than cats. There's a logical flaw. See, this is why it it's a good lie. That it says that uh, like all cats are dead, but not all dead are cats. Right. Right. And then you, the way you test this is you say like this. You say like this. All Rabbi Kaufmans are Napoleons. Napoleon is dead. Therefore, Rabbi Kaufman is dead. Is that logically sound? Rabbi Kaufman's are Napoleons. It's it's perfectly logical. It's just the premises. One of the premises is just false. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like it's not true that all Rabbi Kaufmans are Napoleons. It's valid, not rational. Right. So this is what I mean. When you start teaching logic, you actually separate the logical component out from is it true? Does it is it is is it reasonable? And you're just like we just isolating this thing called. The rules of logic, is and we're studying the rules delusion? of logic. What? Is that delusion? Not example? No, it's not delusion. It's a, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a training exercise. <laughs> if you really were to believe that all Rabbi Kaufmans are, in fact, Napoleon, yes. then, <laughs> then, <laughs> then you would be deluded. Okay? So there's a lot of elements, right? Just like we understand, like, seeing and smelling has a lot of going on to make it work properly, there's a lot going on to allow you to perceive the immaterial reality for what the immaterial reality actually is. Okay? Got it? Okay. That's Seichel. Yeah. Does it fall under the same criteria of Anuna for which it must be um, in practice or... Um, You have to do something to it in some way for it to become active. Let right now I just want to define the terms very basically seichlamidos. The rest of the chapter is going to go on and elaborate. Okay. So here's the thing. If you could just use seichel, okay, 
and with unrestriction, no restriction, what would, what would happen? If you just like turn the seichel dial up to maximum, what would happen? One second. You would have no friends. That's correct. You would have no friends. That is very important. Why? You wouldn't be real. See, this is this is this, what, what would happen. You're right. You'd have no friends, but not for the reasons you're thinking, yeah, probably. You would see through everyone. Right. You'd be like a genius. I don't know. You you wouldn't want to be friends with anybody. Why? That's really trying you have no foundation. Do you think if you knew people, you wouldn't want to be friends with anybody? If you see, huh. if you see yeah. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Are you friends with yourself? No. Probably, no. 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 Yes. Are you friends with yourself? No. And if you want to say, let me say, if you say you're friends with yourself, then you've like stretched the meaning of friend so broad that it's not you. <laughs> Right? Like having a friend, there's one person, another person, you care about each other, you relate to each other, yeah, okay. But here's the thing, if I perceive all of reality for what reality truly is, as reality truly is, that means I perceive you, ah, in what way? As a girl. As the way, as the way all aspects of you, including the entirely internal ones, and I perceive them as they truly are, which means I perceive your internal life the way you perceive your internal life, which means I know you. you know you. That's right. And, and now, at that point, is this really like a relationship between two different beings? No. 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 Like, this is, it, it's not, there. You'd also be like kind of God. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you would be kind of God-like. Am I wrong when I say you can't exist? Like, can it, no one can exist that way. Exists. What? That, there's people out there who have had a holy turn. No, 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 no. No. So why did everyone laugh when I say you can't exist? Because that, because, because... God exists and God is like that. So that's, that's... I meant like as a human, like on earth. But here's the thing. Even if I now bracket that, the more you move towards Seichel for its own sake, are you really interested in relating to anything? Interacting with anything? What are you interested in? Give me a different verb. Knowing? Knowing. Ego? Like no. Well, I don't want the word intellectualizing because then that just sounds like you're like some cranky professor. You which are. is wrong. You're, you're very creative, actually. We're going to get to that. What are you trying to do? Control. Be everything. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to merge your being with the being of everything yeah. else. You're trying to be the things. You're trying to unify with the things. So the idea that you're interacting with something else is the antithesis of Seichel. Oh, this is Mother. familiar. Right. <laughs> okay. If I'm, trying, if I'm trying to erase the lines that separate my being from your being, from my being, from an angel's being, my being from any being, so that really all of reality for what it really is is part of how I experience my own reality, then what ends up happening? There's no distinction. There's no distinctions between me and the rest of reality. So instead of me interacting with others, everything becomes somewhat, some sense contained within myself. That's a very deep kind of a connection, but it's not a relationship. Okay, let's take an example of something that you, something in reality that you have that kind of connection with. Something that is immaterial, it's part of reality, and you have that kind of connection with. It's not going to be other people. Thoughts. Um. No, I'm born child. 
Mm -hmm. If it's inside of you, then it's not like two different people. That's physical. <coughs> I'm talking, God. I'm doing, what? God. Yeah, don't, you know what we say. I think about God and he be genius. Okay. Um, how about this? Is murder wrong? Yeah. Are you having a relationship with the idea that murder is wrong? It's part of or is it part of you? The wrongness in a murder is actually part of. It's part of you. Is that the, yeah, but I want. Right. In other words, and then there's somebody who sees a murder and they don't see anything wrong with it, and you're like, "What's wrong with you? <laughs> Why is the wrongness of the murder not part of you? The wrongness of the like that element of the murder should be part of you. It should be in you. And if you are, are exposed to murder, it should you should become consciously aware of it. In other words, the wrongness of murder, I'm hoping, is is part of you even now. It's just you're not consciously paying attention to it, except maybe now you are because I'm bringing it up. Okay. Yeah. When you said that a person who is committed to Shabbat, in the sense of like they have to actively be committed to it, that like that person's not going to be married or whatever, is that a case of like, a per, like by that system of belief, like a person who is ready to get married, Shabbat should be a part of him, not something to which he is committed? Correct. Okay. Which means the reality of Shabbos is not is something he perceives Shabbos for what Shabbos really is. And here's the important thing. Seichel, once you've used your seichel, once you've achieved some level of seichel, it tends to be for most people unconscious. Because the things that are part of you, you are not consciously paying attention to. So when you are growing your seichel and expanding your seichel and using your seichel, you are consciously aware of it. But once you've achieved something, where does it then go? Into the unconscious. Okay? So for instance, are there certain people that you can rely on in times of need? Yes. Okay? Now, if you really can rely on them and you deeply know in some, in some level of your mind, even though you're not consciously aware of it, that you can rely on them such that if you need, you can call that, that rises forth, that means your seichel has perceived that. There was a time that your seichel was, was gaining that, that, that awareness and now that, that immaterial fact of reality, immaterial truth is not part of you. So seichel is a way where you assimilate the immaterial reality into yourself and make it part of who you are. Which, by the way, if it's making it part of who you are, what's happening as you use your seichel? It's changing you, which is why an academic is either actively suppressing or does not know how to use their seichel. If seichel, because if, I'm going to if, if seichel is actually making it part of you, then what's happening to you as you use your seichel? If something that wasn't part of you has now become part of you, are you the same? No. So using your seichel is doing what to you? Changing. changing you. Why are academics not changing? Well, what is a basic notion of academia? Is that you're supposed to study something in what kind of a manner? Very disconnected. In a way that it, you're right, it should not. Yeah. So they are either, they predisposed to that or they're act, taking active measures to prevent their seichel from working properly. Which is one of the reasons why intellectual is kind of misleading. So what are they using? They're using some aspects of a seichel. 
but not they're using their full cycle. They're using maybe logic, information processing, some of those other things, but they're not, whatever it is that really takes immature reality and allows you to actually assimilate it into part of yourself and therefore reshape you, something in that process they either A, don't know how to do, or B, are actively choosing to make sure it doesn't happen. And they are taking some elements of their seichel and using them. Is that like the dividing of Maybe, we'll figure that out as we learn what Chacham Bin and Das are. Yeah. Is it possible to use part of your seichel like in one context and not have it and then develop it outside of that context? Um, maybe, but I want to I want to speak more about seichel in 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 general, and then we're going to focus. Okay, because we're going to we move to the next important part of seichel. Yeah. Okay, so you said somebody who has like an infinite amount of seichel would like like be God, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, but by your definition of cycle, you're saying that that's the faculty by which you perceive a material reality. Mm-hmm. So, but if there's a perception happening, then you're still separate from everything that you're so, so this is the difference between sense perception and immaterial perception. Is that sense perception is a different, sense perception is, is basically information input. So their information is coming from the thing to me. The way immaterial things work is they actually become you. So the wrongness of murder is not something you are experienced. Like, like, again, when you're aware, when you see a murder and you experience, that's not really the seichel. The seichel is what was there before that causes you to be aware of its wrongness. That's already part of you. So the wrongness is actually literally one of the, for lack of words, building blocks that makes you be the thing that you are. Awareness and perception is, not, is maybe not the best word, Okay. So it's, you, you are literally turning yourself into a microcosm of however much reality you can. So it's more of like your direct experience of immaterial reality. Right, and that reshapes you and you become, and if you do, then that, that basically imprints you and you are now like that, you, that, that, real, that aspect of immaterial reality is also now has like a, a secondary location within your soul, within your psyche. And so you're, it's, in that sense, it's nothing like sense perception. Which is why we actually have to separate them as two different categories. There's, there's a basic similarity about the subjective-objective thing, but then you're right, is that this issue of perceiver doesn't really exist in Seichel. It does when we're using it to grow and develop or we become aware of it, but the Seichel itself is actually not something. Which then leads me to another important point about Seichel. Yes? Mm-hmm. I can be carrying a conversation, looking at something else, but I can still usually walk down or up the stairs, which, like, it, it, it is like a physical perception of where the stairs are, but I'm subconsciously able to do that, which yes. is also why we, like, sometimes take another, try to take another step where there isn't, or don't take the last yes, step. Yes, 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 yes. In Chassidus, this is called the clothing seichel in the faculty of action. And you can, yeah, I don't want to get into this. If you really want, I can show you a discourse in, uh, of the Rebbe Rashab. What's it called in Hebrew? Clothing His slavshus. Like, yes, you are right. There's an, so also knowing how to ride a bike mm-hmm. is also seichel. Mm-hmm. Right? You'll notice that in many languages we use words like knowing in ways that go far beyond what we tend to consider intellectual, right? Like I know how to ride a bike and I know this person and I know what two plus two equals, right? And if you understand seichel, 
in terms, it would make sense why people have this intuition to like group all of those things together because they are different uses of the same basic thing. Is that there is a reality? There is a there is a reality of, of what it is to to ride a bike upright, and that has become part of me, right? Not necessarily in a sense that I can understand the physical laws of it and explain it, but in the sense that it governs how I can actually physically move my body, and that even that doesn't require conscious awareness. Most uses of seichel, like I said, are actually not conscious. You can use your consciousness to direct the development and growth of seichel, but... It, Does it have to start in the consciousness, or could it just be like an inherent truth? It, it, it doesn't start in the consciousness. It's like an iceberg. Seichel's like an iceberg. Only the little bit of the, on top is above the surface. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. In fact, when do you start using your seichel? Later in life. The moment you're born. Oh. And you're definitely not like, you're not consciously thinking of how am I going to use my seichel, right? The very fact that you actually have reflexive consciousness is itself a product of some degree of seichel. Yeah, okay. I'm not going to go too far into this. So seichel is, is much, that's why, this is why the word intellectual is so misleading. Because when we say intellectual, we think of academics, we think of writing papers, we think of the ability to debate ideas, which all do, at least if used properly, contribute to the development of our seichel. But they are not the sum total of it, and if they're out of proportion, they actually can corrupt the seichel, make the seichel completely dysfunctional, right? It's a famous story about the ethics professor who was caught doing something unethical. And they said, how could you do this? He says, well, I also teach math. It doesn't make me a triangle. <laughs> yes? Is a moral compass part of seichel? Correct. Yeah. So when we're talking about babies having seichel and like going all the way through, how... How are we only talking about a godly soul? I will get to that in, in his... It, which I'll get to that right now. Here's the thing. So this whole thing about... So number one is that if, if Seichel is allowed to run its course, right? You're not going to have friends. You're not going to have relationships. You're just going to kind of unify with everything or become a microcosm of everything, right? Well, then what does that do to your individuality, your uniqueness, your I'm my own person trudging on my own path in the grand universe of stuff? What is that? That, that? that becomes utterly meaningless, right? If, you, if the sum totality of everything is contained within your mind, right, then what special place do you occupy in that? You don't, right? For instance, if I know you as well as you know you, or even better than you know you, how could I possibly care more about me than I care about you? That doesn't make any sense. Which means, what is anti cycle Individuality. Well, so it was the, 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 so let's be a little bit clear. Individuality in terms of the acceptance of uniqueness and appreciation of uniqueness, maybe not because I could appreciate, well, this body has certain characteristics and blah, blah, blah. But the pursuit of the, of, of, I would say instead of individuality, it's more individualism. The desire to be a distinct and unique individual, to set myself apart, to make myself the hero of my own story. Which means if you really want to be really concerned about you, what is that going to do to your seichel? Limit it. Another reason why an academic doesn't have really highly functional seichel. <laughs> because how, does, how, does it work, how do academics work? Get money. Get money, get, right, get published, get your name out there, right? It's all about who you contribute the thing to. 
right? In other words, in other words, you want to, you you want to know how you can test whether someone really has has high levels of seichel. What do you what do you look for an absence of? I. Yeah, an absence of focusing on themselves. They don't occupy a privileged position in reality, right? That's the whole point of seichel. The totality of reality is what it matters, not my particular spot in it. Well, so what is what is that like? unconscious even like thing to be an individual like it's well this is why we're going to get to is that real seichel chassidah says does not exist in human beings human beings have a mock plastic made in china representative version of seichel real seichel only exists in a godly soul but we have that's right but i said in human beings the human being part does not have real seichel it has the imitation version. It looks like Seichel, it kind of represents Seichel, but if you actually say, does, it, does this really what Seichel is? As you start to, no, it doesn't actually work like Seichel. Do we experience the difference? Yes. Isn't interaction necessary? If you have limited Seichel. In other words, if you have very limited Seichel, you need to interact with things to get the Seichel working. So, like, babies look around and touch stuff first. If you have full seichel, then you don't interact. Missing out on interaction. Yeah. So, Moshe Rabbeinu had the maximum level of seichel. But wait, wait, let me finish. Okay. Moshe Rabbeinu was blind. Really? Oh, right. He became, he became blind. Yeah. You know why? Why do you need to see? Yeah, well, you only need to see because the reality of the presence of the object is not clear to you, right? So, you need to perceive its physical manifestation through color. So, it says that Moshe Rabbeinu did not, when he achieved his highest level, right? And by the way, you'll notice that Seichel starts to merge into prophecy, right? It's like, right. as you go higher into Seichel, the line between what's Seichel and what's prophecy starts to disappear. Like, that's not, that's immaterial reality? Yeah. Like, seeing time also? Well, I mean, is not, is not the totality of time part of immaterial reality? Right, okay, so, yeah. Well, did Moshe have this made in China Seichel? No, Moshe did not have made in time. Um, but he was, you're not lacking. Isn't interaction something that is valuable? I don't know. That depends on who's valuing what your system values are, right? <laughs> it's, I guess. Uh-huh. I mean, well, it's the end of the day. Does, does, does God only have his three Seichel-like faculties or does he have no, another he so apparently he also values interaction and the whole time is about interacting but there is this other idea of but how Hashem has pure safe I guess I'm lunging him but if Hashem has pure safe I'll... but he also has how what how how what does he also interact I don't know I'm not God <laughs> Wait, you, can, I, you can I tell you if you turn off the recorder I'll tell you a story yes yeah, sure. <laughs> those are the best stories yeah how the spirits work I have no idea how our own bodies work. Like, I can't even figure out exactly why it is that when I drop the cup, the cup falls. Right? Okay. I can explain and describe some things around the edges that helps make navigating life a little clearer. That's as far as we can go in life. What did that look like in Moshe? What? What did that look like in Moshe then? So... What did what look like in Moshe? This, like, ultimate seichel. It's like a, an intense clarity, but the analogy for that is like having, like you know when it's like a dark night and lightning flashes and you can see everything more vividly than during the daytime? But what did it mean with him interacting with other people? Right. Oh, well, 
remember when my comment at the beginning of class about how it was Aaron who said you should love everybody? Okay. <laughs> Moshe was not known for being the most lovey-dovey guy in the world. Let's put it that way. Well, here's the thing. Okay. I, we're going to get more into this uh, as, we, as we go forward, but the whole point is just like God, there's the three and the seven, and the three give birth to and nourish the seven. So the the um, the midos, which are going to be interacting faculties, what gives what we're going to see we later on what gives birth and nourishes them the seichel. So which means we have attention. On the one hand, seichel in and of itself moves me away from interacting, but if I ever want to have the faculties that allow me to interact, I need to grow in seichel. And that was the tension I was referring to yesterday. So Tanya is about using the seichel to get to the midos. There's another whole dimension of chesedus, which is seichel for seichel. Okay. So that's seichel. What are midos then? Well, take everything about seichel and, I don't know if reverse it, but change it, flip it around a little bit. So first off, midos are very much about your individuality. Being an individual. I am here, I am now, I am me, and I am not you, and I'm not anybody else. Now, why is that important? Have a relationship? Yeah, how can I have a relationship if, if it's not clear that this is me and that's you? Right? <laughs> this is why, I mean, this is why like, little kids don't have real, real profound relationships because the sense of me in relation to you is not so well defined. Okay. There has to be a clear sense of self and who are you relative to me? Where are the extensions? What are the boundaries between you and me, right? So for instance, okay, um, if you're gonna have a relationship with somebody, yeah, what about them fits together with you? What about them makes them belong in your life? What about them doesn't belong in your life? Yeah, If those things, you don't experience if you don't experience that, like you can't have a relationship. So Midos and Seichel are opposite in one very clear respect that the more you pursue Seichel, the less it's about your, you're less the center. And in Midos, it's the reverse. You are the center. Right? It's your relationship with things. It's how things stand in relationship to you. Okay? So it's not understanding oneself in order to have relationships, but to interact with other things and sometimes with other people? Well, those are relationships. Relationships is the way of interacting with people. Well, you you can interact with cups by picking them up. You interact with people and have relationships with them. What about interacting with nature? I mean, nature's things. So you, nature basically involves picking stuff up and putting it down and taking them apart and putting them back together. It's about the sum totality of nature. What else do you do in nature? But I'm saying it's not understanding yourself in the way that everything else is working or specifically about people. So one of the, one of the things about, one of the things is that you, 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 is that you have different ways to relate. And so that, depending on what you're relating to, there's, different, there's going to be different kinds of midas. Because we're talking about the godly soul, I want to talk about them in the, as, a, as a general category, and then we're going to go into what midas are in the godly soul. And only in the godly soul. Just like we only do seichel in the godly soul. By the way, this thing I said that only the, only the godly soul has real seichel, that's not true with Midos, by the way. Like, 
No, because, well, think about it. What is the core of Midas? The core of Midas is me. Well, I didn't mean that as a pun, but that's, that's cute. It was me. Yeah. Yeah. Is the prioritization and focus on everything in relation to me. Okay, well, I don't need to be godly for that. I can be, an, I can be a dog for that. I could be a human being for that. I could be a rat for that, right? I mean, it's different between a rat and a dog and a human being, right? But, but that's, yeah. What? Okay, yeah, to focus on me and how things relate to and affect me and how I should relate to and interact with other things, other people, whatever. Okay, now, another thing about Midos, another thing about Midos is this is very, very important. So remember we spoke about you can have delusions versus seichel? Okay. So let's think about the function of Midos. And then, because remember, there's the function of a thing and the experience of the thing. The real thing has an element of both. But then there's a fake one which just has the experience. Okay. Well, a real Midos would be what? Where it's very clear in what way I relate to something, something relates to me. So let's just take a very, very simple example. Okay. Um, if I respect you, if I feel respect for you, if, theoretically, if I respect you theoretically, okay, what, what can't I do? Be specific. What can't I do? What? Spit in our faces. Spit in your faces. Good. That's <laughs> I can't spit in your faces. No, 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 no. I cannot. If I respect you, I cannot do that. Which means, if I, I, yeah, if I do spit in your face, God forbid, and then I say, but I, I, I really do respect you, that's not true. Okay? Okay. What must I do if I respect you? Now I want a positive action. What? Be nice? That's not true. To be specific. Listen when you're talking. I would say in most circumstances that is correct. Most circumstances, there are very few circumstances where respect and not listen to what the person saying are compatible. Okay? You're telling me about how nervous you are while I'm trying to resuscitate someone who passed out, right? I respect you, but that is not relevant, yeah? Right? Um, or you're droning on and on and on and, and, not allowing, and not allowing your, the class's learning to contribute. And I say, no, I'm not going to listen to what you say. Okay, that could, also be, that could also be done out of respect. Right? I respect your ability to learn. I'm not going to let you sabotage it, right? Okay. But yes, most cases... Yeah, okay. Now, let's talk about love. If I love somebody, and let's be specific, if I love my friend, what can't I do? What? Embarrass them? Like not like in a lighthearted way. See, here's the issue: is love is very love is one of those words that we stretch too far. You can embarrass them. In fact, that's one of the reasons why Rabbi Akiva's students were punished just because they loved each other but they didn't respect each other. And when you love somebody, 
you often do things that embarrass them. And if you had a little more respect for them, you might not have done those things. Yeah. I mean, let's think about it. Let's think about it, right? When, you're, when, you, when, you're, when your grandmother takes out the pictures of you and your cousin when you were two in the bathtub in front of the whole family because she loves you so much, she's so much nachas. And that's like, she's like, like, I really wish I, why did you do that? That was like an invasion of my privacy. Okay, so no, wait, what, what can't you do if you love someone? No, unfortunately that is not the case. You can kill them too. Yeah, she, you, you, I'm going to put it to you this way. You, there's this thing that if I love somebody, I can't harm them. That is not true. That's what I'm getting at. That's just not correct. But if you love something, you won't get rid of it. Oh, that's true. Killing isn't getting rid of it. It depends how you construe love. For instance, this is, this is, this is, for instance, for instance, many people who love would rather kill what they love and preserve the fond memory than rather have that memory evolve and distort into something they don't love. You ever heard of King Herod? He killed his wife and preserved her in honey because he'd rather keep the memory of her when he liked her rather than the woman who was becoming independent and rejecting him. No, I don't. I mean, and if you do, then I don't know. Don't use me as a reference when you want to get married. <laughs> It's a bad idea. It is love. It is love. What? Oh, that's correct. You can't forget them. You can't ignore them. Okay. This is the thing. This is this is this is we have to we have to one of the things if we want to learn is we have to remove words from just being substitutes for good behavior and bad behavior. Love. Love is actually a very specific kind of an emotion. Respect is a kind of an emotion. There are other kinds of emotions, right? Love is an emotion, okay? So one of the things love is that if you love someone or something, you can't ignore it, you can't forget it, you can't let it go. What, what must you do if you love? Hold on. Find ways of getting closer. Oh, now you added the word healthy. When you add the word healthy, then... <laughs> but uh, here's the rule with all emotions. All emotions are only healthy when they are not the determining factor. They are being governed by something else. Yes. <laughs> so you're right. Healthy love is a very different thing, right? Okay, yeah. So you know what we call somebody who... who can't ignore you, obsesses over you. Um, yeah, it's a stalker, right? Zero respect, no care for their effect on you, right? But has to hold on to you, tries to get closer. Yeah, that's love. Well, then you have to ask. Then you can ask the question, which is, what do they love about you? No, they love the feeling they get when they stalk you. Are you sure? Well, one second, one second, one second. Do you know firsthand? No. No midos are about the other person. They're all about you. Me. Now, it is true. Right. They're midos. Now, it could be that what I love about you is your autonomy and your independence and your creativity, in which case I probably won't be a stalker of you because like, that does get me closer to your autonomy, right? But if what I love about you is your humor and only your humor... Well, so this so gets into the question of what this gets to the question. Like, so how do you have a relationship where it's not the other person and all about you? Welcome to Tanya. 
Enjoy your stay in chapter three. <laughs> this is the issue, right? Midos, Midos don't really have this kind of idea of like, yeah, you have, so we, we, these things have, if, if this is going to work in any manner that is remotely constructive, much less you know, an embodiment of the godly way of doing it, it's certainly going to have to figure out how these things work together. Midas are, are how I feel towards you. Now, but those feelings, they're not just in a feeling. That's, that's what I'm getting at, right? So if someone says, I really feel, so someone says, I really, I really, I really love you, right? Um, and then, and, and, and is, is, if that feeling does not actually, you know, we spoke yesterday about the idea that there's extension and limit. If it doesn't push them in certain directions and cut them off from other things, it's not a real, it's not a real midah. That might, it might have, so the same way you can have delusions and seichel, you can have, we'll call them, we'll call them, um, what were they used later on? Fantasies. Fancies. They call it fancies. Fancies, whatever you want. Like, it, 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 you, you can have all of the experiential stuff that goes along with the Mida, but not actually have the Mida. If I can, if I can, you know, move, go throughout my day without having my mind turn back to you, if I don't feel the need to do anything to come closer to you, whatever the you is, it could be you in a very superficial way, it could be you in a very deep way, it could be you in an other. But if just that's not true, the fact that sometimes I get all you know warm and fuzzies, that's not a midah. Now, if I, if you if you do have that sense that you're constantly you can't forget about them, you're constantly reminded moving back towards them, you feel the need to do things to get closer to them. Um, you can't do things that that cut you off from them that, that cause you to separate, right? If those things are true, right? If there's something in you that makes you, and you also experience a warmth in the body, like that's a midah. But the, so, let me put it to you like this. When you feel, the feeling is your experience. Are you experiencing a midah or are you experiencing just vapor? And the question is, a midah is something that has extension and limits. It really pushes you in one direction and cuts you off from other things. So now, if you make a list of all the people in your life, and you make a list of all the things you really feel, you really, you really, you, you really are drawn to, towards in relation to those people, and the things that are off limits that you really can't do with those people, those tell you what are your midas towards that person. Is that a healthy exercise? To a degree, I don't know if the overanalyzing every aspect of your life is important. But sometimes, especially if relationships aren't working well, it might be healthy. Like if you realize, you know what? Every time my so-called friend asks me for help, I have no problem ignoring them and forgetting about it. Hmm. That might mean that my feelings of friendship aren't really midas. They're just vain fancies. They're just fluff. Are you saying fantasy or fancy? Well, I want to say fantasy, but then I saw that they translated as fancies which I think is old English, but whatever. Okay. So, midas bind and separate you 
if you in what ways are you bound in what ways are you drawn in what ways are you attached in what ways are you cut off separate and limited those are your Midas, but it's all anchoring you. Now, midas feel like something. They have a very, what we would often call emotional quality, and, when, and you, they can be very intense. But the intensity of the experience is not what makes the midah the midah. The midah is its binding and separating quality. Right? My, what makes my respect for you actually a midah is that it means I actually cannot humiliate you. I actually cannot disregard your welfare. Right? I actually have to take what you say seriously before making a decision. That's what makes it. And does that feel like something when, I feel, when that part of myself becomes active? Sure, it feels like something. But the feeling like something is not what makes it real. What makes it real is that it actually, as we spoke about yesterday, there's an extension, there's a limit. It moves me towards some things and cuts me off from other things. What is, how do you know if you really hate? If you, if you, have, if you really have a midah of hatred. That you're, when you see, that means you really hate? Not necessarily. Yeah, that's just like a you know, bubbling up of who knows what, indigestion. How do you know that you actually hate? How do you know that you actually hate? What does hate extend to? Give, what, would, what would hate lead you to do? Violence. Hate leads to violence. What does hate cut you off from? What? Of a kind. Often. Often. The same way people say I love and they don't really mean it. Yeah, but that's exactly what I'm getting at is that midas are a lot more. <coughs> they're, yeah, they're more than words. They're the actual ways you genuinely relate and interact with other beings. I respect. Well, that usually means because you're, you're more than a simplistic being, so there's more things going on. And then, that, but, but let's just talk about the hate itself. It was just hate. So hate leads to violence. Hate extends into violence. What does hate cut you off from? Real Give me something more specific than connection. What? Empathy. Yeah. If I hate, I don't want to. But I want me to explain. I don't want you to explain to me. Don't explain it to me. But you could, I, I know you could, and I really don't want to know. Like, like, let me explain to you why the Nazis thought, I don't want to know why the Nazis, just, I really don't. I want to keep them as these barbaric monsters. I don't want to understand what was going through their mind. Why? Because I hate them. And if you're curious to really understand where they were coming from, what does that mean? You don't hate them. You don't really hate them. I'm not judging, I'm just describing. <laughs> That. Well, okay, I remember, okay, people are incredibly complicated. So we're talking about the Mido, we're talking about the Mido. Then we'll say, can you have conflicting Midas? Is that a possibility? Is it not a possibility? I don't know yet. So let's just be, just summarize very quickly. Seichel Midas, Seichel is, there's the real, immature reality for what it is, and how well is my soul, my being, captured that, absorbed that, assimilated that. Right? Which is a loss of focus on in being, being a distinct individual. And then there's Midas. I'm a distinct individual and I have very distinct attachments and disconnects in very different ways to other things, people, whatever other things in reality. And I can tell that because they're, they really do bind me and cut me off from things. And yes, they are accompanied by a kind of emotional experience. But the emotional experience itself, that's not a Midas. 
the midah are my actual attachments and disconnects. Okay? And now we're going to try understanding how the godly soul has seichel and midos and how those things interact because we want to actually grow in this in a godly manner. Not a healthy manner, but a godly manner, which is better. Okay. Can I ask you a question? Yeah.